0: Let's pray. Oh, God, Shepherd, Good Shepherd, the God who will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for that soothing prayer that the University Singers and Cyril brought to us. Keep us calm. This is such a painful subject. Let it be clear, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be honest. It is never comfortable to talk about mental health. Your own or or somebody else's. Although the truth is, we are now in a generation of any generation in the history of this nation, a generation that is very comfortable thinking and talking out loud about their own mental health. And what really blew it open was this summer, Tokyo Olympics. I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Simone Biles, that telegenic gold medalist I'm talking about that other superstar athlete, Naomi Osaka, tennis star, who, by the way, in June of this summer, refused to meet the press. She was going through the darkness. International Tennis Association, some organization, find her. You got to talk. Well, they stood in front of cameras at the, in, in Tokyo and talked. They did. And they suddenly broke open this whole conversation of mental health that's been, for a lot of us, kind of kept, ah, let's just pretend like it doesn't exist. And then we find out, and let me quote NBC here, even Michael Phelps, the greatest swimmer in history and the winner of 23 Olympic gold medals, has publicly discussed his own battle with depression, including contemplating suicide. Yeah, but you're saying, ah, oh, come on. We're dealing with superstar athletes here. Of course they're under pressure. Who wouldn't be under pressure? Oh, really? Just superstar athletes? Let me read to you an email I received from a teenager on her way to Andrews University this school year. This is 10 days ago. Hey, Pastor. I hope you're doing well, despite the world being thrown into chaos over the past couple years. If you don't mind, I would love to give you a quick update on how my life has gone since high school graduation in 2020. I took a gap year, as was my original plan, to work and save money. Turns out the stuck feeling became overwhelming to the point where I became depressed and didn't want to get out of bed. On top of all that, my father died, which dug me into an even deeper hole. You want to talk about white spaces? I was definitely in one, kind of still am, but I digress. So keep me in your prayers, Pastor, and I'll see you soon, fondly." And she signs her name. I've known her since she was a little girl. Mental health? Are you kidding? There is nobody that gets a pass from this conversation that we're about to launch together. Everybody knows. Well, not everybody talks, but we'll talk, you and I, over these next few moments. Especially when you add into the mix the fact. This is so, for me, stunning. The fact that arguably the greatest Christian in the history of Christianity himself... We're talking about Paul, the hero of our series this fall. Paul suffers a huge mental health meltdown. Man. Apparently, you can be, you can be this close to Jesus. And still go through mental health crises, sometimes one after another. And speaking of Jesus, can you believe it? He himself suffered depression. Open your Bible to Second Corinthians chapter two. Come on, you got your Bible with you? Second Corinthians chapter two. I'm going to give you a backstory before we get to these dark thoughts that Paul himself has scribbled in this letter. Here's a backstory. Damascus Road. We were there last Sabbath. You remember. Damascus Road, when Jesus of Nazareth, personally, physically, in a blinding explosion of light, appears to the enemy of Christ, the young enemy himself, Saul, and... Shoo, in that dramatic turn, that Saul boy becomes Jesus' most ardent follower and friend. And do you know what comes after Damascus Road? I'll tell you. It's white space. What that little teen wrote to me about? White space. What's white space? It's the the white space in your Bible between the end of one chapter and the beginning of the other. This is white. Happens all the time. Life goes on, and we know nothing about it. Paul moves immediately into white space. Get this. Three years in Arabia. We do know he went to Arabia, the desert. We have no clue what happens in Arabia. Then he comes out for 18 days, goes to Jerusalem, meets the brethren, and disappears for another 10 years. White space, his hometown of Tarsus. That's a total of 13 years of white space. What's going on? God is shaping his young champion into how to become an influencer. Some of you are despairing about your white space. We talked about it, but you're still despairing about it. Forget it. White space is designed to set you up for God's next move. Live it to the full. Well, here's what happens. When he comes out, he's he's primed and ready to go now. Young, mighty champion of God that God was needing, and he and his buddy Barnabas, they start going around Asia Minor. That would be Turkey, and they're planting churches here and there, left and right. Then he has a friend named Silas, and they go over into Greece, and they plant churches left and right. And Paul finally makes his way down to Corinth. We're talking about a licentious city, like seaport towns usually are. You name it, it happens in Corinth after sunset. Paul moves in, and he begins winning men and women to Christ. And suddenly, a little church is planted, and pretty soon, guess what? The church grows with influence in that pagan city. Then Paul up and leaves Corinth. He goes back to Asia Minor, and he ends up in a place, another Roman colony called Ephesus. And, oh, my, if he was successful in Corinth, wait till you see what happens to him in Ephesus. The town takes takes him seriously. And he takes the city by storm, starts talking about this Jesus, to the place. Listen to this. Even some of the leading occultists, magicians, and pagan spiritualists, he's leading them to Christ. You're not going to believe this, but I'll put it on the screen. Stay in 2 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 1, but I want to put Acts chapter 19, verse 17 on the screen for us all. When this became known about the changes happening in Ephesus, to the, when it became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. What is this thing? And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. What have you guys done? It must have been bad. They confessed it. A number who had practiced sorcery, we're talking about the occult, brought their scrolls, their books, their their guides together, and they burned them publicly. They had this massive bonfire, and when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Mercy. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. You want to know how much money is 50,000 drachmas? I'll tell you. One drachma is one day's labor. One day's labor for a common laborer. So let's just say $15 an hour. Let's call it the minimum wage. They work for 10 hours a day. So we'll say that's, what's that, $150 times 50,000 days, $7.5 million worth of occult library specialties are burned up just like that. Man, talking about an influencer. We got a real-live influencer on our hands, and this young Saul turned Paul. And by the way, it's very obvious now that Saul has walked up to the gates of hell and he's rattling those gates in the name of Jesus Christ. And hell is not going to sit by and let this go unchallenged. You see, there's a big temple in Ephesus. It's to Diana, the Romans would call her, it's to Artemis, the Greeks would call her. And Ephesus was a hot spot for worship there. In fact, the artisans of Ephesus carved little little silver shrines, and oh, my, they would sell those shrines for a very, very good profit. But the problem was economics, economic hit. Because of this vagabond Jew, the the sales are dropping and dropping and dropping. And finally, the the big man, the, the head honcho of the tradesman, says, let's throw a riot. Let's do it. And the city erupts in a massive riot. They're obviously out to lynch this Paul. Paul says, listen, let me out there. Let me... I will go. I will talk to them, his friend said, not on your life. You stay here. What's going on? Well, it's obvious now. The dark powers are striking back. And Paul, unbeknown to him... Hold on, hold on. Unbeknown to him is headed to a mental health meltdown. And I'll tell you what. The straw that broke the camel's back, that created the devil's perfect storm, was word from an associate that the church in Corinth that he had planted had voted him off the island. Yeah, we don't need your spiritual leadership anymore. Adios. And now everything Paul has lived for, labored for, wept for, nearly died for, is suspect. He has failed, and when you fail to the core of your being, you re-examine everything in your life, and it never is pretty. That's the way it works with mental health meltdowns, isn't it? Some experience. Some event, somebody, something inside of you snaps, and suddenly you are drowning in this darkness. Can the devil cause a mental health meltdown? Are you kidding? He majors in depression, anxiety, fear, and darkness. Of course, he uses it. It's his favorite weapons. But listen, listen, hold on, hold on. If the devil can trigger a meltdown. That means there is somebody with a capital S who can take the meltdown and turn it around. And that's the story here. By the way, now we add, however, a new theory that's being circulated among New Testament scholars. And now we have a super-duper meltdown on our hands. You ready for this theory? I want to share it with you. N.T. Wright, the great uh, and brilliant, really, British New Testament scholar, in his book Paul, a Biography, suggests a new twist to Paul's story. He believes the evidence is strong, although he admits this is conjecture. But here we go. As a result of the dark power striking back at Paul's influence, after that city-shaking riot, Paul is actually arrested. Luke doesn't say a word about it, not a word, but Luke leaves all kinds of stuff, including Arabia, out of Paul's life. So we can't say it's not an axe. It's not. Paul is actually arrested after that riot, imprisoned in Ephesus, and he's threatened with capital punishment. That would be the end of you. And he's thrown in the dark, dank reality of a Roman prison, and they were the worst. N.T. Wright, put it on the screen for you. And by the way, when the judge is having to deal with the stories of Paul, not only did he not not only did they burn that $7.5 million pile of occult literature, there's another story that's been circulating in the city, and you need to see this before we get into Paul and in the prison. This is just a few verses earlier in Acts 19. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. We're talking Ephesus now. Ephesus. Extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. We're talking about total hitback by the p- powers and the forces of darkness. That's what's going on. So, in the dank of that dungeon, Paul's life starts to unravel. His mind, his emotions unravel. So, N.T. Wright says, here's what I think happened. So, what what had happened? Some have looked back to a hint in the 1st Corinthian letter. We're going to 2 Corinthians. There probably were five letters. We only have two of them. The first letter to Corinth, where Paul describes himself facing danger every hour and even dying every day. You remember a line from Paul? I die daily? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about spiritual death. He's talking about physical death. Keep reading. If in human terms, now we're quoting 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I fought with wild animals at Ephesus. What use is that to me? Wild animals in Ephesus? We're not talking about a jungle here. What's he describing? Nobody knows. Keep reading. The best guess, and it remains a guess, but it's the best one, is that Paul was imprisoned in Ephesus and put on trial for his life. We're going to kill you this time. And that made a perfect storm because it followed hard on the heels of a nasty shock from Corinth. The church there had turned against him. The straw that broke the camel's back. Mental health melts down, breaks down. Whatever language you you wish to use, the the fact of the matter is, rarely it's it's rarely a single incident. It's the accumulation of hits. Pum 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 that takes even a big man down. Something snaps, and Paul descends into despair and depression. Am I making all this up? I am not. Another great uh, British scholar on the New Testament, F.F. Bruce. Let me put him on the screen. The opposition to Paul came to a head. He's talking about Corinth now. This is back in Corinth. The opposition to Paul came to a head, and one member of the church in particular took the lead in defying Paul's authority. The others took no effective action in Paul's defense. And Paul, deeply humiliated, leaves Corinth. On his return to the province of Asia, that would be Ephesus, he was assailed by severe depression, and also, it appears, by extreme external danger. Two phrases. Look at them. Severe depression. Extreme external danger, mental health meltdown. How could it be clearer? Can we read hints of that meltdown in his second letter? The only other letter we have, I believe we can. In fact, I want to show you right now. So you've got Second Corinthians. You've opened it up to uh, chapter one. All right. Didn't bring a Bible? Get it on your device. Second Corinthians, chapter one. Can we pick up the hint? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's go to uh, verse 8. Paul writing, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, Ephesus. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Now, N.T. Wright, who is a a a translator of the Greek New Testament as well as his. research, translates this this way. He says, hey, let, me, let me give you uh, my translation. The load... So, this is the line, 1, 2 Corinthians 1.8. The load we had to carry was far too heavy for us. It got to the point where we gave up on life itself. Yes, deep inside ourselves, we received the death sentence. Now, Wright goes on. He says, let me tell you about that translation or those words. If somebody came to me and said something like this, I would recognize the signs of serious depression. This was not just an outward death Paul, we've come to know, could have coped with that reasonably well. But this is about one deep inside ourselves. Wow. Chapter 2. These are some more hints. Now they're going to come in rapid-fire sequence. Chapter 2, verse 4, Paul's writing in this second letter. For I wrote you... We don't know where that letter is. For I wrote you out of great distress... language of mental health and anguish... language of mental health of heart and with many tears... language of mental health... not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. I'm telling you what, rejection. There isn't a soul here who hasn't experienced rejection. Rejection, whether it's by a friend, by a spouse, by a congregation, it doesn't matter. Rejection hurts to the core. Depression. Listen to Paul now as he describes what's going on inside of him. And he will keep referring to himself as we, we, we. But is this really we? N.T. Right again. The we in this letter is clearly a way of referring to himself, because what he says is so personal and so intimate that we must take it as a roundabout way of talking about himself while perhaps shrinking from the shocking immediacy of the first-person singular. You know how afraid we are to talk about mental health? Not you, but the rest of us. We don't even want to bring it up. Why? Because you'll misunderstand it. You'll think I've gone cuckoo. That's what we think depression is. It is not. You'll think that that I've lost control of my mind. It is not. It's a meltdown deep within the core of your being. But Paul doesn't want to... He just keeps saying we. But you watch this. It's Paul. He's describing himself. You ready for this now? So, now we're in Chapter 4, Verse 7. But we have this treasure, we, in jars of clay. Hey, by the way, jars of clay, brittle. You, you kick a jar of clay, you break it. Brittle. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And what is more, chapter 7, verse 5, for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. One translation the Good News version, it, it reads, "...fightings without and terrors within." It's all mental health language. I'm afraid. Outside of me and inside of me. And some of you know the meaning of that fear. You know the suffocating darkness that produces that fear. Interestingly enough, Ellen White. Like N.T. Wright and F.F. F. Bruce, agrees with the diagnosis. Watch this. From that little classic. Oh, if you could never get a hold of it. Sketches from the life of Paul. Here we go. Paul's ministry in Ephesus had been a season of incessant labor, of many trials, and deep anguish. Ooh, there's mental health language. In weariness and painfulness, from unceasing toil and constant danger, enfeebled by disease. He's the only one... She's the only one to add that line into the formula. Enfeebled by disease and at times depressed in spirits, he steadfastly pursued his work. She goes on. A deep sadness. Oh, there's mental health language. A deep sadness still rested upon the mind and heart of Paul because of his apprehensions concerning the Corinthian church, for they hung as a heavy weight upon his soul. That rejection, the depression of spirits from which the apostles suffered, was, however, attributable in a great degree to bodily infirmities. I can get any physician who's listening right now who's, who's in this space, any mental health specialist, a psychologist, I say, come on up here. Could you affirm to us, please, that mental health meltdown, depression can be linked to physical causes and bodily disease? But, of course, mental health breakdown or meltdown is not a sign that you're losing it all. Something else is going on. So intimate is the relationship, by the way, the Creator created us, the relationship between mind, body, and spirit. It's so intimate that what you do to one affects all three. And in the same breath, please, hear me out. Let it be clear that mental health meltdown is not a sign of spiritual collapse or failure. Paul's personal suffering of depression is proof enough that just because you know Jesus, and I'm glad you do, and just because you are following Jesus, and I'm glad you are, does not mean depression or despair are going to be kept out of your life, and you will never have a mental health meltdown. It doesn't mean that at all. Depression is not a sin. Depression is not a matter of human faith. It is evidence of human frailty. That's it. Why, even Jesus himself experienced depression. Can you believe that? You want to talk about the meltdown we call Gethsemane? Oh, my. What do you think is going on in the darkness of hell in Gethsemane? Desire of Ages draws the veil aside. Watch this. This classic on the life of Jesus. But God suffered with His Son in Gethsemane. Angels beheld the Savior's agony. They saw their Lord enclosed by legions of satanic forces. The forces of darkness are going to hit. They'll hit at you. They hit at Him. His nature weighed down with a shuddering, mysterious dread, mental health language. There was silence in heaven. Christ's agony did not cease, but His depression and discouragement left Him. If depression and discouragement leave you, it means that they were in you at one point. True or false? But, of course, His depression and discouragement left Him. The storm had in no wise abated, but He who was its object, was strengthened to meet its fury." End quote. You are not alone, my friend. Some of you don't even have the the emotional health right now. You tell yourself to even show up in church. So you're watching a live streaming right now. I'm telling you something. You are not alone. It's not about whether Jesus has disappeared from your life. It's not about your faith proving to be weak in a time of need. Nonsense. The forces of darkness, the straw that breaks the camel's back for too many humans is mental health meltdown. But you have good company. Never apologize for what you're going through. Depression. Jesus comes to us and he said, Hey, been there and done that for you and you. So, is there any cure for my depression? Hmm? How did Paul find eventual release from his own depressed spirits? My response is twofold. Now, sit down. Response number one, if you're suffering from depression right now, please get help. There's no need for you to suffer alone. Make an appointment to see a mental health specialist. It can be your family physician. It can be the school psychologist. It can be a community counselor. It doesn't matter. Someone who is trained and gifted to treat your mental health. Don't be a lone ranger and say, I'll do this on my own. Don't. You don't have to go through this that long. Number one, if you're suffering from depression right now, please get help. Number two, Take a page from Paul's playbook. What are you talking about, Dwight? I'll tell you. There is Boku research out there, academic studies, that show a significant... Listen, listen. A significant connection between mental health... Now, hold on. Mental health and meditation. Listen carefully now. In fact, if you would just Google the two words, depression and meditation, you spend the Sabbath afternoon reading the studies, okay? Boku evidence. But let me offer a Christian summary of meditation. Because in the midst of his suffering, Paul's, Paul turns to Jesus. You didn't think he'd forget about turning to Jesus, did you? No, he turns to Jesus in the midst of his suffering. You may read it here, 2 Corinthians. Turn over to Chapter 12. 2 Corinthians, Chapter 12. This is incredible. Paul realizes that the enemy of his soul has pierced a sword deep into his flesh. It's deep into his heart. It's deep into his mind, and he calls it a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. You and I face that same enemy, the same darkness, the same spiritual warfare. Three times, by the way, Paul begs Jesus. He pleads with him. Take this away. Just take this away. But every time he does, Jesus gives the same answer, and I'm going to share the answer with you right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, and three times he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you are at your weakest, you're at your strongest. Never forget that. When it feels it's the weakest, Heaven knows that because of Jesus, you're at your strongest right now. Never forget that. What's the word? My grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Okay. Here it is, secret number three. We're building these secrets, how to become an influencer. Here's secret number three. Choose to turn your darkness over to Jesus. Plain and simple. You can't heal yourself. Jesus may not choose to heal you in the way that you're asking to be healed. Case closed, Paul. That's okay. You'll get the best treatment that you need right now from the same Jesus. You can't heal yourself. Go to him. You have his word. My grace. Oh, I love that. My grace is sufficient for you. M.T. Wright believes that it was through prayer and meditation that Paul found enough healing to live beyond the darkness. Watch this, last quote. I do think that Paul's long-held practice of Jesus-focused prayer, taking the ancient scriptural poems... That would be the Psalms. And by the way, there is no New Testament. You understand that. The only Bible Paul has is the Old Testament, so he's meeting Jesus in the Old Testament. I do think that Paul's long-held practice of Jesus-focused prayer, taking the ancient scriptural poems, the Psalms, and patterns in the Old Testament, and finding Jesus at their heart was crucial in helping Paul to find his way out of despair and back into hope." And then I love this sentence. Christology, that's the study of Jesus, okay? Christology and therapy, that's healing of the soul, go well together. I love that. Christology and therapy. Go well together." Keep reading. "...even if, like Jacob, an apostle may limp in style and perhaps in body, after the dark night spent wrestling with the angel." You are never alone in that darkness. There's an angel in that darkness with you. It's the angel that has been placed beside you from the beginning. You will wrestle with an angel beside you. But what was it that Paul did? Choose to turn your darkness over to Jesus. And so Paul goes to the Psalms. I tell you what, it's not a bad idea to read a psalm a day. I heard that once from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I read it. I said, you know what? If he could do it, I could do it. So I've been reading a psalm a day every day of my life. You can do the same. Look at it, in the Psalms. Think about it. This is the great, these are the great prayers, the the, the songs of faith. In the Psalm, you meet you'll meet Jesus as the, the good shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. We just had it a moment ago. You meet Jesus as the young king. You'll meet Jesus as the victor over darkness. You'll meet Jesus as the companion through your meltdown. Take a psalm a day. Come on, you can do it. You know where the psalms are, they're in the middle of your Bible. Just read one of those a day. Start tomorrow with one, and the next day will be two. It'll take you 150 days to get through. But look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. We're not just reading the Psalms through. We're looking for Jesus. I'm telling you, if you set aside enough time, you're a teen in the balcony, one Psalm a day, you got the time. One Psalm a day. Just look for Jesus. How would you do that, Dwight? Well, I'll show you right here. Don't rush, okay? So there's no rush. Nobody's keeping a clock on this thing. Just take your time. Don't rush. Read slowly. Meditate. What's that mean? Just, just repeat it in your mind. Just let it go over. Hey, Lord, I'm looking for Jesus. Holy Spirit, show me Jesus here. Meditate. Show, and just keep breathing the prayer. Show me Jesus. And by the way, a good way to see Jesus is every time you come across Lord in the Psalms, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the name Yahweh, every time you come across Lord, add Jesus to it. Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd I shall not want. Just add Jesus. Show me Jesus. And finally, turn your darkness over to him for the day. Lord, I'm going out into the day. That darkness, that's yours. Your grace is sufficient for me. That's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. And that's how Jesus got Paul through, and that's how he's going to get you through, for my grace is sufficient for you. Let me know. Is this good news or bad news? Come on, tell me. You say, Dwight, I'm not not suffering from any darkness right now. Well, good for you. But you know somebody who is. Of course you do. Take that little one, two, three, four, with one psalm a day recommendation. Take it to them. Take it. Do a friend a favor. And if it's you with the darkness, Read a psalm a day and see if Jesus' grace will not be sufficient for you. In fact, I want to send you something. If you give me your email address, I want to send you something for reading through the psalms. So here's how I'm going to do it. If you would please text Paul 2, all right, just Paul 2 to the number 269-281-2345. It's an easy number. Put it on speed. uh, Put it in your contacts. You immediately get it. I call it Pioneer Text in my phone. Just text Paul 2 to this number, and you'll get this next screen. I struggle with my mental health. Please pray for me. I don't care who you are or how young or old you are. It doesn't matter. If you'll put your name where you, if you check that box, we will pray for you by name. You put your name, we'll pray for you by name. Box number two please send me a Bible reading calendar for the Psalms. I want to find Jesus in each of those ancient prayer songs. If you put a check mark there, I have to have your email address. If there's not, if it's not, if, it, if, if there's no email address, you won't. I can't reach you. If you put a check mark there, send me that little uh, organiza- organizing the Psalms paper. I'll send it to you. In box number three, I want to follow Jesus and be baptized. Some of you have been going through darkness for a while, and some of you that are going through darkness have never been baptized. You just, well, it's just not. It's not. It's not necessary. Oh, I, I beg to differ with you. When Saul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, the first thing he did was baptized. And so when the darkness came, he had a way to face the darkness, and it was with Jesus. If you haven't been baptized, put a check mark there. Make sure I have your email address. You'll get a note from me, and then we'll be in touch with you. There's no sense in putting it off. There's no sense in putting it off. Uh, I'm going to invite the choir to come on out. This is a beautiful hymn. Talking about mental health meltdown, this, this, this composition, Kir, Kyrie, which means Lord have mercy in Latin, It's dedicated to the victims of 9-11. Twenty years ago, this very moment, the nation was mourning. We were weeping. We had no idea what was next. Still don't know, but we know who will go with us, the Son of David, who will have mercy on us. Come on out, choir, and sing for us, please.